Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of an Evolved Review. I am your host, James Caleb Kitchens, and as always, I'm joined by none other than the man himself, the man who consumes more wrestling content than anyone in the known multiverse, Caleb Stovall. Welcome back to the show, man. It's true, man. What's going on? What's happening, bro? Man, it's a good week. Uh, we had Viral for Wrestling this last week, Stellar Show. Uh, our thoughts go out to Montana Black. He's back at home resting, but... Uh, you know, uh, he suffered a medical emergency at the show, gave us all a scare, but ho- thankfully he's good. Um, went to dude, went to the Braves game uh, on Monday uh, and got to see them in the playoffs, which was fantastic. This is my first time being at the new stadium. Oh, that's awesome. What would you think? I loved it, man. I You know, I used to go to Turner Field back in the day when I was a kid. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, was just, it didn't, doesn't compare at all to the new stadium. Oh, yeah, dude. New stadium's amazing. Um, I'm rocking the Owen Hart uh, Dark Side of the Ring shirt. Nice. So, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a good time, man. What have you been up to? Not much, man. Uh, just, you know, I, I, obviously I've been working a lot in uh, everything like that. Uh, but uh, I recently, I just got the Hulu bundle. And I see why it's so good because literally you don't have to download any of the two other apps. You can literally just get everything on Hulu. Yeah. It's cool, man. So, They're doing yeah, good stuff. Awesome. And you know, uh, I watched on Hulu actually the other day. I watched on Vice MLW Fightland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I think it's going to be an interesting thing. I, I really want to see how their, you know, how their ratings are. Yeah. Oh, and you know, speaking of ratings, before we get into Dark Side of the Ring, I want to talk about this too. I know you do. I knew it. Like, I, so when I saw it, I thought, all right, WWE's being petty and shit like that. Of course, we're talking about you know the uh, supposed Friday Night War that's happening this week. Because all right, so due to NHL being played on TNT on Wednesday night. And then uh, that so dynamite's actually happening Saturday, but rampage is still happening Friday night. And uh, due to the MLB playoffs, that takes precedent over uh, SmackDown, so it's on Fox and uh, it's on uh, FS1. Yes, FS1. And so here's what's happening though: SmackDown is being advertised. I've never seen this before in my life. I've never seen an advertisement like this before in my life, but it's being advertised as a one or a a full two hour and thirty minute show. Yeah, um, I mean, there's never been a WWE show that was made better by adding more time to it, right? So, not going to help them in the way that they think. I, that this is actually not where I was going with this. Uh, but but I think it is uh, important that we talk about it because uh, it's going to be tomorrow night. Uh, this will come out uh, tomorrow morning, so um, you know th- it'll actually be tonight, I guess, by the time this episode airs. Yeah, man. Um, well, because I, I, here's the thing: I know that they did that, but I was gonna say real quick, if I may, that AEW now is deciding to counter that. Yeah, and, and and they're doing the Friday Night War. Tony Khan is is, you know, hyping it up in in the press rounds and on Twitter, saying that he's going to beat SmackDown. I think they might beat SmackDown. I I think it's possible. I don't like the idea that they're doing a thirty minute buy in on the YouTube channel. That just seems silly to me. Uh, they're putting Suzuki versus Danielson on there, which. I understand not putting that on the main program because I really do think that a lot of people that, that, that there's not a ton of people who are going to be super into that match. Um, I think you've got to be like somebody who's really into new Japan. Uh, to, I'm going to be into that matchup. Yeah, right. But you're also into new Japan. I don't think Suzuki's very good personally. Um, I'm just not a fan. I mean, I think, I think he's fine. I, I like his, uh, his gimmick or whatever. And his facial expressions are cool, but, I just think for an American audience, like his match with Moxie was, was terrible. I thought it was atrocious. Yeah, um, but him and Danielson, though, you know, two of the like hard hitting guys going at it, man. Like, right, it's going to be a bunch of stiff punches and kicks and shit, and like that's fine. I mean, there's an audience for it, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not that audience, but I know that I, 
I'm not saying there's not an audience for it. I know that there is. Um, I just don't think it's the wider audience. Um, but we definitely will be talking more about AEW as we go towards what full gear is the next one. Yep. Um, that being said, man, when you started talking about ratings, this is what I actually thought I thought you were talking about. So I want to ask you this before we get into it, because uh, we're talking about FMW today. Uh, um, Onita's FMW, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. And this is one of the episodes that you really were hyped about before we even knew it was an episode. When we did our season three predictions, this was near the top of your list. Yes, it was this one and the one that's, you know, also still to come XBW. So let me throw a few things at you here. So the last episode from the first part of season three. So, all right. So, so actually let me go a little further back than that. So the Owen Hart episode last year, the end of season two drew 0.35 million viewers live, right? We opened with Pil- Brian Pillman part one and two, which did, Point zero, uh, 0.027. So it did two, 270,000 uh, viewers, right? Okay. Um, the Nick Gage episode dropped to 163,000. It's over, over half the audience dropped for the Nick Gage episode. Uh, Collision in Korea saw an uptick. By the time we got to Becoming Warrior, we were back down to 165,000. The plane ride from hell went down to 153,000. And then the Onita's FMW episode is the lowest rated episode in the history of the show with 126,000 viewers. I mean, the Chris Canyon one got a slight uptick, but it's like Dark Side of the Ring, like the ratings throughout from season two, which saw a, a huge amount of viewers. I mean, the most viewed episode ever, of course, is the uh, the Benoit episodes, right? Right. And then we kind of go down from there. Do you think that the... Do you think it's that we're seeing the sort of luster wear off from Dark Side of the Ring? Or do you think that maybe, like, when, when season one and two were out, there was no good pro wrestling on? Right, like there was no good pro wrestling on television, really, yeah. but now there is, and so people only have so many hours a week to watch wrestling. Do you think AEW is is taking the audience? Ooh, that's a. I mean, it's an interesting thought because some of the audience that watches Dark Side of the Ring isn't necessarily wrestling fans. That's true. Yeah. Um. And and and, and you got to think that Onita's FMW is. I mean, I guess maybe there's no name recognition, right? Like, they see, okay, this is about a FMW, and they don't know what that is, right? Like a general audience. But but if you, you actually sit down and watch this episode, uh, we'll get into it, but I think this is prime dark side of the ring. Uh, no, I, I agree. I really like this episode, and it has a lot of the things that, that dark side of the ring, you know, that, that, that the really, like, popular episodes have. People die. People get severely <laughs> hurt or injured. Uh, it's a fucking sad story. Somebody makes off with a lot of fucking money. And there's a lot of interviews and discussions with really famous people who were either worldwide stars or came up in the Attitude Era. All the ingredients to bake that cake are all in this episode. I mean, this is a, a smorgasbord for somebody who is a Dark Side of the Ring fan. Yeah. But, I mean... Could it be, though, that we're also not taking into consideration that a lot of people don't watch stuff live anymore and that, like, you know, they don't even watch TV. They watch, like, like I want to know how many views are counted on Hulu. Right. And and that's, that's kind of one of the things that we run into is Hulu, Netflix, Disney+, Plus. they're very coy about, um, about releasing any numbers about specific programs. And and I, I understand why. I mean, Netflix will come out every year and say, these are the top 10 uh, most viewed things on Netflix. And then they'll say, and these are the top 10 Netflix original programs. And that always surprises me. Uh, Squid Games is easily going to take that this year. Uh, oh, it's my go- God. That show is unbelievably 
popular. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the number one stream show, not on Netflix, but any platform this year. Yeah, no, it is. Like, because uh, they even talked about it, like, it's not just, uh, you know, popular, like, it's not just popular in the U.S. on Netflix. It's popular on Netflix in the world. Like, yeah. The entire world. And they didn't spend a whole lot of money making it. That's the crazy thing. Uh, and it's just, it's doing gangbuster numbers for them. So, um, I, I think uh, an easy number two, uh, we're probably going to see The Witcher uh, this year uh, come out, but I, I'm not you, happy about that. Oh, I am. I'm ecstatic about it. But you drive. A, I mean, we had to wait two years for this season. So, uh, but you know, you make a good point. How many people are really watching TV live anymore? Uh, I know that you know Dynamite's ratings and Rampage's ratings. Well, not Rampage's ratings. Dynamite's ratings have been really good. Um, but, you know, that's also because there's no real way to watch it other than that, other than watching it live. And uh, while we're on this subject, Tony Khan did hint that very soon we were going to see AEW's library uh, come to somewhere that we could watch it. So Ooh. I I think it's going to be on HBO Max. I, I could see that being a big get for them. Ooh, that'd be, um, that'd be interesting. Yeah, and it would be even better if there's not the long ass wait, like we have on, like uh, Raw and SmackDown. You know, like it, if we could get, you know, maybe it's not day and date, but if we could get like three days later, if we could get Dynamite on Saturday from the past Wednesday, that would be huge. I think it would draw a big audience. But we could talk about that for an hour. We're here for we're here for Anita's FMW man. Exactly. This is this is your. This is your deal. This is your episode. I know normally, normally like we bounce stuff off each other, but I kind of take the lead on it. But uh, I really wanted to let you take the lead on this one. Uh, I've watched the episode three times now. I can't get enough of it, man. And, I love uh, it. Yeah, I mean, so uh, what did you what did you think of the episode? Well, I, I, I absolutely loved it. It was everything I pretty much thought it was going to be, and more. Basically, um, I absolutely love the interviews. We'll get into it uh, and all that. But I, I'll start it off with the first time I saw FMW in my life. All right. I'll never forget it because I used to take karate in elementary or I did some karate in elementary. And uh, I met this guy there in class and he had FMW tapes and coincidentally XPW tapes uh, as well. So he had, uh, so he gave me an FMW tape and I watched it and I was just like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is insane. And, um, it, one of them, it was Hayabusa and, um, oh, I forget the guy he was feuding with. Um, but it was, it, it was him and it was a mask versus hair match and it was a really good match. And then on that same night, there also was an exploding barbed wire match, Cactus Jack versus uh, um, Chainsaw. No, it wasn't Chainsaw Charlie. It was Chainsaw. Oh, my God. What is his name? Leatherface. Leatherface. Literally, Leatherface. It's just literally Leatherface. And um, it was a crazy event. So that was my first introduction uh, to it. And I really, like, lost track of it. Because I never really liked their DVDs. Their DVDs were filled with these commentators who were also trying to be stand-up comedians for whatever reason. Like, it was awful. Okay. Like, just awful production. Like, you would have been, like, that beard, you would have literally been pulling your beard out. Like, just like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> it was Probably. awful. So like I really didn't get to see like even the old FMW, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't ever in order, so I never really knew what was going on or anything like that. So, you know, you just kind of had to uh deal with what you were given basically. But that was like kind of like the first time I saw FMW and then I learned a little bit more as it uh happened, but a lot of this I really didn't know and I really didn't realize how much it was centered around the founder, which was Onita. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that as a promoter. I mean, here's the thing, right, is it, it's dangerous anytime you look at uh, a promotion and e either thing. So 
either the promotion is centered around one guy and that guy is the guy and the people are there to see him. You want that out of like a champion or somebody that's going to be featured, right? Like you want people to come there and see that guy. But it can't be that if that guy's not there, then the brand can't survive. That's a that's a trap that a lot of people have fallen into, and it's a it's a really bad one to be in to be in. My cat's yeah. making a lot of cameos tonight. Um, <laughs> if you're watching this on the video, that's what the orange nonsense you see flying around the screen is. Um, that being said, man, I, I think the other danger, though, and you see this a lot of times, especially on the indies, is you've yeah. got the promoter or the booker or the promoter's kid or the booker's kid or the promoter's nephew or, you know, yeah. and they're the champion, right? And and that's always a recipe for disaster. Now, back in the day, you know, it made sense. Um, like, if you look at a lot of the, uh, the old, like, wrestling families, right? They would mm. put the belts on the kids because they were they were family. They were reliable. Um, you know, this is in the old territory days. You weren't going to have them run off and work for Vince for more money and leave you without a champion. Yeah. So that that makes sense, right? But I mean, today that's not really something that 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 makes a lot of sense or that you should do. I think there's a danger in putting your titles on people you can't reliably get, like. You know, if you're if you've got somebody who's like under MLW or NWA contract, or they're or they're taking a lot of worldwide bookings, and you're an indie company, I could see not putting your title in that person because once again, you're not the big fish for that person. You're not you're not first chair for them. You are not their main focus. It's fine to book people like that because they're typically going to be very good, and they're going to become an attraction. But when you come when you when you come into a situation like FMW, that's danger times two, man. Not, and not even talking about the in ring action. You've got the guy yeah. who's a promoter, but he's also built up as the the main thing that people want to see. And yeah. so, when if he leaves, well, I mean, you saw what happened. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into it because uh, basically FMW is uh, and it starts off with. I am Atsushi Onita. <laughs> just opening it up like that. And then just, a, hey, how can you <laughs> Like, that was awesome the way that they opened it up. And he talked about how he got into wrestling, which back at the time in Japan, if you like got into wrestling, you knew two names, Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Or Antonio Inoki. And, and you know, that's the thing is like, I really loved how he sort of bridged the gap between those two yeah. um, because Giant Baba and Anoki, I mean, they are legendary in Japan to this very day. I mean, they are the, they are basically the fathers of Japanese wrestling in the modern era. Yes. And for, you know, for, I, I think it's, I think it's an accomplishment for Onita to be considered the third name on that list. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, for how long he was around and stuff like that. Like, I mean, he wasn't around, I don't know if he was around that long to, you know, I mean, he definitely wasn't around as long as they were. Right. But so, so he gets into, you know, wrestling like that and he wants to become a pro wrestler and stuff like that. And they talked about this, that uh, he went to a event and he didn't want to do what the booker wanted to do or something like that. He didn't want to lose the way that they wanted him to lose or whatnot. And he uh, gets into a little bit of trouble. They go and they beat him up. How common was this back in the day? Well, man, I, you know, when you talk about this in pro wrestling, and this is, this is a, a topic that's come up really heavily as of late. It's like, you know, I, I, like Mark Henry and uh, and Bubba Ray Dudley actually got into some hot water recently about some their comments on this, you know. And Bubba Ray was saying, you know, back in the day, you know, somebody was disrespectful, you would slug him a couple of times or whatever. And and this is considered in a lot of places, um, you know, to be the way that things were. I mean, up until very recently in the WWE, um, never in AEW, but. A lot of places, especially in like the smaller, like kind of more 
uh, rural areas of the country, like uh, the southeast, I mean, especially, your smaller, less professional indie promotions, this is still shit that goes on. Um, And, you know, it's like there is a certain uh, level of unprofessionalism about that. Like, you know, if somebody comes to viral and we book them to do a finish and they just go behind our back and, and, and not do the finish we asked for, uh, right. we're just not going to book them again. We're not going to beat the shit out of them. But right. there's a, there's a, a, a small contingent of people that, you know, they were, that's how the business was back in the day. And, and they were taught that and, and, you know, that was taught to them and that was taught to the people that taught them, you know, and it just kind of perpetuated through the industry. And it's like, this is a job. You know what I mean? If somebody disagrees with the, the uh, CEO of Exxon in the boardroom, he's not going to beat the shit out of him after the meeting. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like wrestling is a business. And just because it involves uh, choreographed or not even choreographed, but worked fighting staged fighting, Um, does not mean that you can then take out your, uh, frustrations or disagreements with somebody by beating the bejesus out of them. That being said, to answer your question in in the longest winded way possible, it happened (laughs) all the fucking time. (laughs) I was about to say, you turned into Eric Bischoff there. (laughs) This is why I asked the questions, not answered them. Because this this will happen all the time. (laughs) I know, right? But... It was there, though, and through that, that he met the legend himself. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I got to do this. Um, the best there is, the best there was, Terry Funk. All right, now ask me some questions. <laughs> that, was a, that was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> that was spot on. That was really good. I mean, that was really good. I mean... That was better than your Russo. I mean, it was great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. I loved Terry Funk here. Yes. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think you even mentioned this on the last episode when we were doing the Canyon episode. Mm-hmm. Terry Funk is the star of this episode. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. He He was incredible. I mean, I love Terry Funk. I mean... It's crazy to me. I guess it's just because Terry Funk was never like in WrestleMania. You know, he was never on that level. But it's just so crazy to me that Funk is not compared to like the Hogan's and the Rocks and the Austins of our business. And I guess that is. Yeah. And and I guess that is because it's like he never did. he, He never had a. The one thing that all those people had that he never did is he did not have a, you know, top of the company run with Vincent Man. He he didn't, but a lot of people forget though how big Terry Funk was back in the day. I mean, yeah. Terry Funk, you know, he was a movie star at one point. He did it before Hogan. Yeah. I mean, that Patrick Swayze movie still to this day is talked about. It's still played on on TV uh, to this day, and he's in it. So, I mean, he was huge back in the day. And uh, But I think it's because a lot of people, you know, when they get when they were getting into wrestling, you know, obviously the 90s was the peak movement of wrestling. Right. And when he was when he was getting, you know, big through that era, a lot of people knew him for his hardcore stuff rather than his old NWA matches. A lot of people forget that he could old school wrestle and stuff like that. And they looked at him as more just a hardcore guy. Middle yeah. aged and crazy. Yeah. I mean he he could talk. He could wrestle. He could fight. I wouldn't give him a mic though on that shotgun Saturday night where he goes, Your mother's a whore. Yeah. 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 I mean he 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 could he could talk. He could fight, he could wrestle, and yes. he could he could do the hardcore style as good as anybody. I mean, him and Foley had some absolute all out battles. But yes. I, I I think that Terry Funk is is very much the old school wrestler mentality, right? And I, I mean he's I would be surprised if he has very much to show for his legendary career as far as financially. And and, and that's 
awful. I mean, it really is, you know. But, you know, if you look at it, I don't think he had very many opportunities for large paydays. I mean, some of these main event matches he had with Onita in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people, he even talks about it in this set, in the special that he didn't make very much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that um, uh, as we progress here because that, that, that becomes a big topic uh, and everything like that. But um, so Onita meets Terry Funk. You know, he, he's in USA a lot and stuff like that. And where he kind of gets the idea for FMW, not necessarily FMW, but for hard, but for hardcore wrestling, basically, is the infamous um, concession stand brawl, which was from Memphis, Tennessee, back in like like Jerry Lawler's and um, Jeff Jarrett's dad's promotion. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's just crazy to believe to me that that Jerry Jarrett may ultimately be responsible for, for like, well, at least for FMW and the, the extent that it went to, it's like how, you know, we talk about this a lot, right? Like we talked about Foley falling off the, the cell or being thrown or being thrown off the cell and the impact of that literally and figuratively on pro wrestling. Right. And this was kind of similar. It's like you have this idea and people haven't seen it before or, you know, it catches a lot of people's attention. And so then someone says, hmm, I will take that and I will run with it. Because Jerry Jarrett had a lot of con- uh, a lot of uh, restraint, right? I mean, a lot right. of your legendary kind of bookers, you had to have that because you have to know – that ultimately, if you end up in a situation where you're constantly trying to top everything that you've ever done, then you will eventually hit the wall, right? right? There has to be an ebb and flow. You have to build, 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 big show where all this amazing shit happens, and then you come back down, and you build, yeah. build, build. And, and, and it's one thing to, to want to continually progress and write better angles and better stories and have better talent. That's something everyone should do, but you can't if you're going off of shock value alone or you're trying to make these big moments over and over again, you're going to hit the wall very quickly. Yeah. And, um, I, and I, I guess that's pretty much what happened with FMW, uh, ultimately and stuff like that. But Onita kind of gets this idea for hardcore wrestling. He, he kind of realizes that it triggers people's success or it triggers people's reaction even more so than a regular matchup uh, and stuff like that. When he's, he's involved in this brawl, he says, even a woman goes and kicks him in the face and stuff like that. Like that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, basically gets the idea though, especially in some of these, sort of more dangerous areas, right? I mean, Memphis was known for being a place where the crowd was incredibly rowdy. I mean, you have these people that come to these matches and then you're playing a heel, right? And you got to keep in mind, this is during an era where people still think that this is real. And there is a a contingent today that still uh, are complete marks, but I I think that the majority of the fan base that's watching wrestling like religiously today are smart marks, right? Like they know that they're watching a stage product. Right. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm saying that to understand this situation, you have to put it in the minds of these people that they think that this dude is really a piece of shit and he's really trying to beat up their hero. They, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the classic dusty Rhodes promo. These people go to work they work their ass off to be able to afford the money to buy this ticket so they can see their hero fight for them. And yeah. this is the guy that's like, fuck these guys. And, and is trying to, to, as far as they know, put their, you know, their hero they paid to see in the hospital. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where Onita is in USA. And then he returns to Japan and stuff like that. And he's getting really good. He's getting really popular and stuff like that. He's on a roll and he does sort of more of a high flying uh, style of wrestling. And it high flying wasn't really even that popular 
uh, back in the day. Not not when Onita started, at least, and uh, whatnot. And then apparently a freak accident happened. Literally, he just jumps to the floor, and his bone in his knee goes straight through. And and the thing is that you know, and and that just goes to show like how dangerous this is. He yep. wasn't doing a suicide dive. He wasn't doing a senton. He literally was jumping off the ring apron yeah. to the floor. Yeah, it's not that far. Well, in, unless you're at viral. Well, that's true. Our, our <laughs> that's, ring, that thing is elevated a little bit. Because that ring's like five, six feet off the ground. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah I mean, it's in, in most rings, it's three, four feet. Well, Tops. then so... Yeah, exactly. Well, then, so as this horrible injury happens to him, he's being carried off and everything in front of uh, the live crowd and stuff like that. He obviously, you know, uh, contemplates retirement or actually does retire in in ways like or at least just stops doing it. And then he decides he wants to get back into it, realizes he can't do the things that he used to do. So this is where. He gets the idea basically for FMW. He realizes, well, if I can't do, you know, that style that I was doing for other people, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a new style and you know create my own thing, I guess. And he goes and he books a wrestler versus karate per like a martial artist, basically. So it's pro wrestling versus martial arts in a matchup and those matches, and you could tell from the uh, from the video, were absolutely brutal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, dude, dude, like you saw him, like they were kicking the shit out of each other. Yeah, it was it was definitely, um, you know, I don't know if they were using the term strong style at the time, but it was definitely brutal, at, at the very least. Yeah. It, it was just, it, it was barbaric. And Onita realizes that the crowd is getting really into this. And he's like, okay. And this is kind of where I was kind of like, okay, so wait a minute. Was it just literally these three matches? And he just went, all right, FMW formed, basically. Like, they kind of just were, like, like it was kind of just like an all of a sudden, all right, FMW's formed. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Know. There, there was there was an element of, of that to it where it was it, it seemed really spontaneous, right? Mm-hmm. But Onita knew that he had no career in the business as far as being able to do all the athletics he was able to do before, and he, you know he was never ricochet, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> um, but you know he was he, he as you said he was he was a decent cruiserweight. He was doing the high flying stuff. He had he had a lot of charisma. Um, I mean, you got to think about it. To get over as a Japanese person in the United States in the 80s, he had to have a lot of charisma. Yeah. Right? Um, And, and, you know, that's what carried him. He he realized, okay, well, I can't do the stuff I was doing, but I can come back and be this character. I can be this persona. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and I may be jumping the gun a little bit here, but... You know, Jericho uh, talks about the the exploding death match where he says it's the most baby face thing he's ever seen. Yeah. Where he goes back in and covers uh, Terry Funk and to shield him from the explosion. Now, unfortunately, this moment was very recently ruined uh, by uh, John Moxley and AEW. <laughs> Uh, because they tried to rip it off, and it was the most embarrassing thing in the history of that company. If not, well, I can't say the last ten years because so many things. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, all I could think about when Jericho was talking about that moment was uh, was that botch. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, but this definitely wasn't a botch. No, I mean, in the '90s, man. I mean. I, I agree with Jericho. That's like the most baby face thing ever. You triumph over the villain, uh, but you still d- run back in to save him from the explosion. And and that's just, uh, I, you know, that is like some Dragon Ball Z shit if if it ever <laughs> happened, you know. Yeah, and, and, and Jericho even talked about what Onita would do at the end of matches. And I remember this in FMW, like, 
they he would literally like it was like they literally went to war you know that they, they had blood like he had blood all over him and stuff like that he would cry to the fans he would thank them he'd be like you stood behind me i kept fighting blah 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 all this other stuff and he even mentioned it they would play joan jets version of wild thing and that was that literally got over it got over so much that people need to realize onita was up there with the popularity of hulk hogan basically yeah and john moxley is just living out his really shitty onita power fantasy every week <laughs> i knew that was gonna come up at, at, at some point i knew i knew it was i knew it was but whatever i'm not wrong i know you're not wrong <laughs> You're not wrong at all. But <laughs> anyways, um, so, you know, we, we continue on with FMW. Here is where he gets the idea, though, for barbed wire matches. All right. So he, you know, because obviously they asked him, you know, how do you how do you come up with a barbed wire matchup? And he said, well, as a child, I ran into it or something like that. I touched it. It hurt me and it scared me. And I knew that the fans would like this danger basically and mick foley i love mick foley to death but he says we care about this profession or we care about the fans more than we do ourselves and real injuries are not necessarily a bad thing in fact they're encouraged that's that that's the that's the mick foley way man that's the the way that the (laughs) that it went um you know, I got to wonder if this barbed wire was clipped. You know, if you see barbed wire using a match today, it's clipped. Yeah, exactly. So it, it definitely can still hurt you, um, but it's not as likely, you know, they go through and clip the sharp ends off, so it's it's more of a flat end. So, yeah, it, it's metal. It can still cut you. It can still stab into you, um, but it's less, much less likely that you're going to have a piece of barbed wire go half an inch into your skull or whatever. Yeah. Um, or take your eye out or whatnot. But I I would not be shocked at all if the barbed wire in these matches was just bought at the store and strung up on the ring. Yeah, so uh, there's a person uh, that shows up in this episode that's also a great interview as well um, who, who knows a thing or two about that. And it wasn't Onita. It was uh, one of the guys that was made famous not only in FMW, but in also ECW. He is the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal tandem known as Sabu. Sabu shows up in this episode, and I loved his, uh, I loved when they asked him, they said, so what's it like working with barbed wire? He just goes, oh, it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, I, you know, I remember, I think that, you know, I didn't watch a lot of ECW as a kid. The first time that I watched Sabu, like, regularly, like, uh, just, you know, me watching his matches live as they were happening was probably was his feud with Abyss in uh, TNA. Yeah, um, which I loved, by the way. Yeah, it was good. Um, you know, uh, here's the thing I said when I saw Sabu in this episode. I, w- I did not expect him to be there. Um, and I was like, damn, we're seeing Sabu in Dark Side of the Ring before... Um, a genie episode and before the inevitable Sabu episode, because there is going to be a fucking Sabu episode, whether he's alive or dead. Probably, probably, probably after he's dead, there will be a fucking Sabu episode. I promise you that there, there is enough material for it. Okay. Well, you're probably right about that, but I I knew we were going to get Sabu in this because he was a big staple in FMW when it first started. And that was how he made his name. And, you know, he, he gets the connection with his uncle, the Sheik, and they are put into a matchup that is an Inferno matchup before Inferno was a thing in WWE, except this was on another level. This was on a dangerous level that really did get dangerous. Like, this is the infamous fire match, basically, in FMW. What did you think seeing this? Have you ever seen this before? I have not seen this before. I I think every, you know, not everybody, but 
pretty much anybody who's been into wrestling for a while and and has gone around the internet has probably seen the the ill-fated Hayabusa clip but a lot of people haven't seen this um you know and it's important to note here too the, the Sheik was world famous I mean absolutely world famous I mean he could probably go to any major territory on earth and get work uh-huh. um and you know, so it's important to realize how how famous he was and how that kind of led to Sabu, uh, you know, getting his spot in the business. But also, I mean, this 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 fire match or whatever. When WWE did the Inferno match, it was smart, right? Like they just had they had the little gas or whatever, you know, flame emitters around the ring, and whenever the somebody would take a bump, whoever in the production truck would hit the fire and it would come up and whatever. But this man, no, they just wrapped a bunch of it looked like bed sheets, yeah, a- around the ropes and ignited them. And I'm like, did you guys not test this? I mean, people could have been like incredibly injured. I mean, they were. I mean, the sheik was burned. I think they said over sixty percent of his body. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't get out. They all apparently saw a window where they could get out and he couldn't get out, but he did manage to get out uh, in time. Thank God. So thank God this wasn't much worse than what it was, but I mean, this was scary. And you know, that's the thing. Onina now is running into that thing of like, all right, first we got a barbed wire matchup, you know, well now we can't, you know, just do that. Now we got to put explosives uh, in the ring and stuff like that. And then, you know, then we have the exploding pool matchup, which features Mike Awesome of all people in that. He's known as the gladiator in FMW. But I mean, you know, how does one come up with this stuff? Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, their, their exploding barbed wire match or whatever actually looked fucking great. And it's yeah, it crazy does. that AEW couldn't, couldn't do one 30, what, 30 years later? Um, that looked even half as good because like, and, and don't get me wrong, the explosions and stuff in this, it, it's still exactly what you expect, but it, but they looked great. Yeah. Um, hell, I thought the fucking exploding pool match was cool as fuck. Like I just thought that that was, I was like, man, how come WCW never did that? At, you know, when they did the, uh, um, <laughs> with the, the ring, you know, they had the ring out in the middle of the water or whatever. I'm like, hey, yeah. why the fuck did they ever do this? At Club La Vila. Yes, um, I was just there a month ago, um, but yes, uh, how the fuck did this never happen, right? And so I, I just think that is the coolest thing. Maybe Tony Khan watched this and was like, "Hmm, you know what? Because because you can do that safely, because yeah, if you can. look at it, they have the explosives. The guy goes in the water and the explosives go off, and he's not even really near them." Yeah, exactly. And if you notice, like, when Onita shielded Terry Funk and, you know, they had the big explosion ring, I see what it is. It's it's around them, but it doesn't actually explode the ring. Right. It's all around them, and they put a bunch of smoke out. So you, it, it's literally the, the smoke part of Smoke and Mirrors. I mean. Yeah. Um, and, but it and still looked good. It looked fantastic. Yeah. It, and, you know, and then, and then they get into this match with the fire, and the thing that's important to note here with the fire is like, and, and I guess they didn't think about this, is when you've got all that fire around the ring, you're you're burning all the oxygen, and they were completely surrounded. So within minutes, they cannot breathe, uh, yeah. and that's why the sheet couldn't get out. It wasn't that. You know, oh, well, damn, the ring's burning. Oh, I can dive through the ropes right here. He could not catch his breath. There was no oxygen for him to breathe to be able to do that. He probably damn near passed out. And then when he rolls out of the ring, they threw water on him, which is the worst thing to do. And it peeled his damn skin off. He, I mean, he had to have been in absolute agony. I mean, I don't know how... I mean, you just got to be tough as nails, but like that, that that still had to be the worst thing he's ever experienced. Well, they pretty much stopped the match, you know, after that and everything. So, you know, and Onita said it was a bad night. So it was just, it was a terrible idea. But, you know, he obviously didn't have a lot of bad ideas, apparently. And this stuff is getting like, 
you know, Onita, when he was running FMW, they even mentioned this. He was not like uh, Terry Funk says it best. You know, he's like he's like about four, about thirty or forty thousand. You know, something like that uh, in the stadium. And he's like, and they weren't charging fifty cents a ticket. <laughs> like, right. Like it was like so. Uh, he's selling out stadiums. Like, like we're not talking just arenas. He's selling out stadiums with these exploding rings and exploding death matches and this hardcore style. And it wasn't just him that was also the attraction. I mean, Onita was the main attraction, but he also did have um, a cast of characters. He did have the gladiator, Mike Awesome. Cactus Jack was there. Terry Funk, obviously, when he got him. And then, you know, he also had... Um, Mr. Pogo, that's a very big name in FMW. That guy was sick as fuck. That's all I'm gonna say. He literally had a sickle and would literally slice the dude. And uh, Ricky Fuji, Ricky, this is a Ricky Fuji, <laughs> yeah, my man, yeah, uh, amazing in this episode. He did, yeah, the, the whole thing, you know, they they talk about how, like, after. You know, Onita left. That the 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 the, the I was going to say the ratings, but the, the the draw was down. The gates were way down. But when it Onita, also, or sorry, when Onita running company, lots of people everywhere. At no FMW, very little people. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing, though: you also have to keep in mind they weren't booking those people you just named either. Uh, Terry no. Funk didn't seem like he was there. Uh, it didn't seem like they had Mick Foley there. It, it, they may have had Mike Awesome, but I mean, really, it looked like Hayabusa and a bunch of random fucking dudes. And then, of course, they had all these WWE-esque angles. I love how everything about the the new FMW just screamed Vince McMahon. It did. It did. And you want to know something? I, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but... Uh, with one of those FMW shows that I saw, the very first one... There was a matchup between Hayabusa and he actually had his mask off at the time and was going by H and he was facing the evil Hayabusa or whatnot. This, that, that was so fucking stupid. It's not even funny. Guess who the special guest referee for that match was? HBK, Shawn Michaels. Yes, look it up. He was a special guest referee in FMW. He is on an FMW show with the Shawn Michaels music as his interest theme. And he's even like, he looks like basically he does the DX Shawn Michaels almost, but it's had, I don't remember exactly when it was, but he is the special guest referee. So you talk it screams Vince McMahon. I'm surprised no one mentioned that in this episode. They probably, well, I, I was going to say, they probably didn't want to talk about Shawn Michaels, but they have. I mean, you know, they did the Montreal Screwjob. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, it, they, they definitely, I, I can't believe they didn't talk about it because um, it was a, it was the main event for their 10th anniversary show. Is it 99? Yes, it was. It was. And, uh, that was also where it had one of the dumbest ass angles I've ever seen an emphasis on the word ass when they had an anal explosion match. It was so ridiculous, man. But, um, you know, uh, you know, looking at this card, right. Uh, the funks are on the 10th anniversary card. Hayabusa is on the card. Uh, Masato Tanaka is on the card. Yes. I don't, I don't see anybody else. That's a real draw. On the whole thing. There's not, but there is an exploding cage match. Yeah. Uh, a 13,000 volt electrical thunderbolt cage death match. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to say. It is. But, you know, and, and here's the thing. You know, they were trying to obviously market it to an even bigger audience. They wanted to get played in the U.S. at the time, and they wanted to get played in other places. And, you know, the deathmatch thing wasn't really looked highly upon, obviously. You know, it was very violent. FMW was known as, you know, 
as Mick Foley uh, called it, a buffet of brutality. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing is, I, you know, I don't know if, if Onita had stayed there, you know, how long does it last? Like, if he had kept booking but had simply stepped down from wrestling, you know, who knows? I mean, they talked about Hayabusa being potentially the next big star, and I think he would have been from a babyface perspective, but they needed somebody else to really go in and carry the hardcore mantle that Onita had. And, mm-hmm. and they really could have separated the two. As a matter of fact, I think that would have been the smart thing to do. Um, but, you know, is did it crash and burn because they forced Onita out of the company? Maybe. Did it crash and burn because of the decisions they were making about the booking? I think that's probably the number one. And then, you know, the, the very tragic circumstances surrounding Hayabusa... Um, that's one of the most tragic things to ever happen in wrestling. And here we are about 32 episodes in the dark side of the ring. No, no. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I remember I saw a clip of that. I'll never like, this is the only time during this episode where I will literally look away. I just, I can't look at it. It's, it's awful. It's heartbreaking. And, uh, unfortunately that happened and the guy could have been, you know, uh, one of the biggest stars ever in Japan. You know, he, he, he had that kind of mass appeal potential, but it just never, you know, materialized. And it's probably because of, you know, the new era of FMW. Here's also something that we haven't touched upon that I really wanted to get your thoughts on. Okay. Uh, you not only being a promoter and, and booker and stuff like that, you've also had to deal with buildings I don't believe any of those buildings that you had to deal with, though, involved the Yakuza. You know, I don't know, man. You know, the auction house is possible. <laughs> uh, uh, that was an interesting place. But, uh, yeah, man, I, you know, while we were talking about the Hayabusa thing, I just want to throw this in real, cl- real, real quick. Yeah. How skilled is Chris Jericho that he's done that move for 30 years? And and never and I mean he's he's over fifty and he's still doing the move that Hayabusa broke his neck trying. Yeah, I mean everyone who is a high flyer still does that move. I see very few people do lion salts. Oh well. Um, I mean I I'm not saying Jericho's the only guy to ever do it. I'm saying he's the only guy to ever do it for that long at, on t- on on TV and that often. Yeah, true. Um, but but not to derail from your question, man. I, yeah, I loved this part of the episode. I thought this was really unique as it was like... Because, of course, the uh, Yakuza had all of the um, the clout over the arenas. I mean, if you look at it in the United States, it's big corporations. But in Japan at the time, um, the Yakuza had a lot of uh, control over all the different arenas. Um, yeah. And they talked about how... You know, they would have the, the reserve seating for them, and nobody wanted to go over there. That reminded me a lot of uh, when you watch the Crown Jewel shows for WWE. You have all of the higher-up government officials and their families in that one section, and there's no one around them, and none of the wrestlers go over there. And, you know, and it was it's very much like that because these are dangerous people. Um that are, you know, you're in a place where they can do significant harm to you and no one's going to stop them. Yeah, and I am surprised that Sabu is still with us to this day. Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for Mike Awesome, he may not be, you yeah. know. Um, and, you know, uh, Mick Foley talks about them going out and, like, kind of whining and dining these guys. And, I mean, and, and he was really uncomfortable with it. But, you know, you have to, yeah, you know, like you have to remember that Onita was trying to make the most amount of money. So yeah, he was, he probably was getting a great deal on getting the venue, which is yeah. a significant cost for having a show this large. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was insane. And, and it was, uh, it, it was interesting, but what did you think of his exit from FMW? Not the one where they force him out basically, but where he first retires and hands it over to the ring announcer. I mean, because, you know, in, in VPW, that, that's what we're planning, right? Like, you and Josh are just going to leave, and y'all are going to hand it to, um, 
Nobody, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, man, I think Young Professor would make an incredible uh, booker or promoter. Uh, you know, he would do a better job than I think 80% of the people doing it right now, and that's a fact. Um, yeah, um, this to me felt like he didn't want to close the company. He wanted to go off and spend the large amount of money that he made. Um, and he wanted to just, he wanted to get into acting. Uh, when that didn't work out, he wanted to come back. But I mean, leaving the company with the ring announcer, yeah, Onita really set him up for failure. And I, I think, um, you know, it, I think too, you know, it, you, you take the company and the company's got debts and obligations and things like that. If you say, oh, I gave it to this guy and he runs it now, then you've saddled them with all of it and you make off with all of your profit that you've taken. Uh, and that's what he did. And, you know, Terry Funk pretty much like without going too far into it says he didn't give jack shit to the ring announcer. Yeah. And, and he's right. I mean, the only thing he gave him was the company. Right. And it's like, oh, well, here, run it, you know. And there probably wasn't enough money to run the company's operations, which led to this dude going into severe debt with the Yakuza, um, you know, uh, and ultimately led to his death. We don't know if there were other things at play there, but it's like it, the guy didn't know what he was doing as far as the wrestling business. Yeah. Um, let's talk about it. his name is uh, Io Shirai, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and he, and you know, Jared... uh, it's a, uh, uh, Shiochi Arai. Oh, Shiochi Arai. Okay. So, so Shirai takes over the company and, you know, people had, uh, impressions of him and stuff like that, but he also hires someone else who, uh, by the name of Ricky Tan, right? Or what was his name? Um, I forget his name, and I forgot to write it down when I was watching this episode. I I don't remember. It was very it was very short. Yeah, um, it didn't really give him much thought. But um, so they have a different idea for where FMW needs to go. It obviously does not. You know, Onita doesn't like it. He does not like the direction that they're taking it. So they force him out, and now they're running FMW completely. And it's just not doing well. And so Shirai, unfortunately, gets in so much debt with the Yakuza. He has no idea what to do. So he goes and he, unfortunately, takes his own life. And, uh, you know, they mentioned this is the Yakuza. That doesn't work like that, where you're dead and, you know, you you're debt free basically no that money goes to now the family and they're going to get their money obviously and, um you know they didn't talk about this in the episode but when he died fmw was three million in debt and, mm -hmm. and and this is this is in dollars not yen so it's converted and then he owed the yakuza an additional one million yeah. and apparently um his life insurance payment covered a good chunk of it, but then uh, the his wife's father was a, fortunately a pretty wealthy guy and ended up paying the rest of it eventually. Mm, okay, so, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, I, you know, it's it's a terrible situation. You know, we always have to have that tragic element in Dark Side of the Ring, and you know, we got several. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's. There is one element of this where people blame uh, Onita for this. And and definitely, Onita certainly didn't help the situation, right? But, uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, this guy did have the whole company. Uh, he made poor decisions. He made the decision to get in bed with the loan sharks. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to place it all on him. Uh, but but as Sabu said, you know, that it's... if. If the guy killed himself over the the money issues, they're gonna get the money out of, uh, you know, out of his family. So it's like, there's not a lot that he really can do there, yeah. uh, you know. And and I think it was really wrong the way that they ran Onita out of the company. I did too, and he, 
you know, clearly they needed Onita because Onita was the reason FMW was successful. And even like, let's say if Onita wasn't wrestling, he could have been valuable behind the scenes. He probably could have made new stars or something like that. I don't know. Maybe he couldn't have. We'll never know. Um, because unfortunately, that's where, you know, uh, everything ends. You know, FMW ends and... Uh, but it leaves behind this interesting legacy, does it not? I mean, it really does. It's one of those things where the company wasn't around for very long, but you've got so much um, history in just that short amount of time. There were so many notable things that happened. Um, obviously, you know, the Onita and, and Terry Funk feud it is one of the better feuds in the history of uh, the business. Yeah, um, it was really legendary is. in Japan. Um, you know, and, and the fact that FMW has kind of the legacy that it has is, is impressive. Uh, Onita seems to still be doing pretty well. You know, he looked good. No, no. Yeah, he, he did. And, uh, I, I was going to say FMW though, while it was around for a short time, let's face it. Hardcore wrestling would not be around today if it wasn't for FMW and, and Otsushi Onita. And they even say that pretty much. And I agree with them. Like, I don't think there would be an ECW. There definitely wouldn't be an Attitude Era. There definitely would not have been, you know, XPW. There wouldn't be Deathmatch Wrestling. Game Changer Wrestling would not exist to this day if it wasn't for the legacy of FMW. I think FMW did all of that. And it also showed people where the line is, right? Yeah. Like, FMW took shit to the absolute extreme. And if you look at some of the things that Onita did, some of the things he booked, some of it is a very good roadmap for how to build a promotion out of nowhere, um, how to build a promotion in the shadow of a larger promotion, how to stand out and brand yourself. But a lot of it, too, is a cautionary tale of not getting trapped in, like I said, this shock value booking. Um a lot of it is a t is a cautionary tale regarding centering your promotion around one persona or one character, or you know pushing things to the limits and putting to the point where you're putting your talent in significant danger. So yeah. it, it's it, it's definitely a um, a, a double sided coin here uh, in in that respect. But it, the legacy is not up for debate. I mean, it's definitely a legendary part of wrestling history. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it was one that I was really excited to cover. So before we wrap this up, I want to get your thoughts now, aside from everything that happened in Dark Side of the Ring, I want to get your thoughts now on just certain types of matches, the exploding barbed wire matches and the exploding pool match. Do you think those are stupid or do you think those can actually work? I think both of them can work. Um, I think the amount of, like, here's the thing, you know, if the Moxley and Omega match had, had been good, it was still poorly built, right? Like, I think I think either of these types of matches, maybe not the exploding pool, um, I think the, the barbed wire death match or whatever, as a way to end, like, an incredible, like, personal feud, mm -hmm. I think it absolutely can work. But yeah. it can't. It, it 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 could be like the hell in the cell in the '90s before they just started putting it out all the fucking time and doing a hell in the cell pay per view and making it not mean anything, right? Exactly. Um, that's the way I would use it. The exploding pool match. I think like AEW could do it once, maybe as like a. Um, but it needs to be a multi man match, right? It's got to be like a. It would have to be like a like a 10-man, 8- or 10-man match, and the winner gets a title shot at something, right? You know what I mean? So, like, when you're thrown in the pool and it blows up, you're out. Because it would look really stupid on television for somebody to get thrown in the pool, boom, and then they, they crawl out and they're soaking wet, and then they have to get back in the ring and try to wrestle some more. That will not work, like, logistically. But if, if they had this big kind of match... Maybe it's even like a ladder match, so you got somebody that goes off the ladder out into the water, right? And I think that could work very sparingly. Like, you can do one every couple years tops. Yeah, um, and it also would be a great seller for the video game. 
Right. The because rest- more people would love to do those types of matches in a video game. Yes, but the restraint has to be there, and okay. and that's that's critical. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, man, this was one I was excited for, and I am so glad that it was it it was done so good, and it was better than I could have even hoped it was. Like it was everything uh, I thought it was going to be, and more. And uh, yeah, dude, this was awesome. It ma- it does make me like hardcore wrestling a little more, you know. And it just goes to show that if there's a wrestling ring in front of it, then I like it, <laughs> even if it's bad, you know. Like even if it's bad, I I just love pro wrestling, you know. Well, we've only got four episodes left in season three. We have uh, bikers, bombs, and bedlam. Johnny K nine episode. <laughs> the, the many faces of Luna Vachon. Yeah, uh, we have Rob Black's XPW, which I know you're also looking forward to, and yes. then we are gonna we are gonna uh, cap off this season with what could be the biggest episode. Uh, it's definitely an episode that had a ton of impact on the industry, and that's the steroid trials. Yes, so. I'm excited, man, uh, and I was really, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I, you know, when you were like FMW when we were doing the season three predictions, I was like, they're not gonna fucking do that, but you know, there was there was so much story to be told here, and I learned a lot from this episode, and I really liked it. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you liked it. I told you it, it was gonna be different. It was gonna be unique, just because you know that's 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 basically the birth of death of deathmatch wrestling was uh, frontier martial arts wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, uh, I definitely appreciate you uh, joining me for this one. Uh, I appreciate was... you let me take the lead on this one. Yeah, man, we'll probably do it again for XPW. I liked the um, the 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 change in roles uh, yeah. a lot, so uh, we'll have to switch it up more often. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll probably do it again for XPW because I know that you've been waiting for that one for forever. Yes, too. I have. I can't wait for it. So, well, all of that being said, my man, uh, this this has been uh, not only a great episode, but it's also been an evolved review. 